0: Did it d to d to did it
1: Welcome to Married to Who, a podcast where a couple of couples watch Doctor Who for the very first time. My name's Jake, with me are them couples, Cody, Sam, Jill, and Alex, and our producer Terry. Today we're here to talk about Twice Upon a Time, written by Steve Moffat, directed by Rachel Talalay, aired December 25th, 2017. Sam. Jake. Uh, what'd you think of this one?
2: It's a good episode.
0: Get a
1: shift on. Cody, what'd you think?
0: Well, I
3: thought this episode was pretty gosh darn good there, Jake.
1: <laughs> Thanks, buddy. You're welcome. Jill.
4: It was very good. It's a nice little story. Nice and Christmassy. Had good parts. I liked it.
5: Terry. It was good. Um, it wasn't as action filled as I originally thought it was gonna be, like a lot of the other um christmas seasons that i've seen uh but it was christmas super fun seasons. watching the, shush, <laughs> <like> the same <laughs> episode thing. sorry um but seeing the two doctors uh interacting with each other was incredibly enjoyable alex
0: jake uh i completely forgot that i've never seen this episode before (laughs) (laughs) all right yeah but it was it was great it was funny because uh jill asked me he's like so is this episode good and when i can't remember an episode i'm like "Eh, it's fine but then when i started watching i was like oh i've never seen this before
4: (laughs) (laughs) he actually said uh it's fine and i'm like what do you mean it's fine it's gonna be good it's the doctor's (laughs) last episode or it's peter's last episode and he's like, you're not supposed to know that. And I was like, okay, come on. We, we all openly knew. talked
1: about it in the podcast. <laughs> right?
4: And then he goes, it's a Christmas special. They're all kind of eh. And I was like, what? I've liked <laughs> the Christmas specials. No, he hadn't seen it. He lied. Rule number one.
1: Uh, if it's your first time listening, everyone has, or all the Marys have never seen Doctor Who before, except for Alex. He's seen every episode once.
4: Except the ones he forgets.
1: <laughs> except for this one, which I guess... We didn't spend Christmas together that year or something.
0: Yeah, we we didn't this year. And I remember just never watching it. And then when Jody was starting, I watched the regeneration scene. And then we went into it. So I never actually saw the episode. I knew it was there. I just never watched it.
4: Why right. didn't you watch this one? Yeah, just That's not so interested dumb. or what?
0: Well, it was... Uh... It was a weird, like, if I'm not at the parents' house on Christmas, there's a good chance I just won't watch the Christmas episode. Because that's just, like, part of, I don't know, part of our system.
1: All right. Not only was it a Christmas special, it was our second straight doctor to leave on a Christmas special. It wasn't just the doctor leaving. It is also the last story for Stephen Moffat. The last story for Rachel Talley. The last story for the whole production team. That's
2: why they got to get rid of everyone.
1: The last story for Murray Gold.
4: Oh. No. He's been
1: the music composer the whole time since 2005. And this is it.
2: Well, it's about to get real bad. Curious what it's going to (laughs) change into.
4: Hey, Jake. Yeah. What did you think?
1: I like the story fine. I really like the last bits on the battlefield and into the regeneration. The 45 minutes before that, I don't really give a shit. <laughs> uh, the doctors interacting and goofing. Yeah, that's fun. But the actual plot, the story, uh, who cares? Trash. Pure trash. There
4: really is nothing to it, but it's really cute. I was wondering, I didn't know if it was a Moffix. It's just touchy feely goodness doesn't quite seem <laughs> Moffat-y.
1: Well, it's his goodbye story, you know, he wants to kind of be nice.
2: Isn't be he the one that like doesn't like no one dies? I can never remember.
1: Yeah, Moffitt's always everyone. His first story was everyone lives,
2: which is uh basically what this episode was.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: I well there wasn't even really a monster. Oh, yeah. Like, the
5: doctor himself, too, was like, this isn't even, a, not an evil plan.
3: What am I supposed to do
5: with this? <laughs> right. And as soon as he said that, I was just like, yeah, what are we supposed to take from
1: this episode? Like, this
5: is, <laughs> what are we doing here?
1: Well, we got some fun glass creatures who turned out to be nice. We got some Daleks who turned out to be nice.
4: We got to see Clara.
5: I was so excited when Clara was there. <laughs>
3: oh, my God,
1: you guys. It was guys. those small things
3: that made the episode pretty enjoyable, I think.
4: I kind of like the No One Dies thing. It, it's you know, all especially about the companions. memories. It had nice yeah. flavor.
3: It had a nice yeah. story. It was a really good Christmas. didn't really have a Christmas feel like a lot of Christmas specials do, but it had a nice, good feel at the end of it.
1: Yeah, and Moffat's Christmas specials tend to be kind of like that. Like in Dr. Widow in the Wardrobe, like it starts with the dad dying in war, and then they're like, psych, we saved him. And same thing here, um, Mark Gatiss' captain is yanked from his imminent death only for the doctor to be like, "Eh, I changed time by a couple hours so he could be part of the armistice.
4: And really, with Moffat leaving, did they just need an excuse for the doctor to have all of his memories back instead of missing a weird hole that had Clara
1: I'm sure that was a Moffat thing just to be like, you know what? Someday someone might want to just mention Clara or <laughs> there might be a book or one day she might want to do an audio adventure. You never know. Let's just, you know, full circle wrap that up so that it's not a thing.
4: It feels just super blank slate now. That's how it felt just after sealed up. 10 left too.
2: Like the start of 11 was ha- brand new.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for
1: sure. Well, especially after that first season where he rebooted the universe. (laughs) So like all that stuff literally didn't happen.
2: (laughs) Ta-da, do whatever you want.
1: (laughs) Uh, So the story starts off with a quick like recount of what happened in the 10th planet right before the first Doctor Regenerates. And then we get some of those scenes reshot with a new cast. And I think that was super fun.
5: That was really fun. I loved the dissolve um, from the old doctor to the replacement doctor. Of That was seamless. It was super, super well done. I really enjoyed when the first doctor walked into the TARDIS of the Peter's TARDIS. And he was just like, what happened to my TARDIS? Like, it just got...
1: <laughs> he was just so disappointed with the entire he thing. first says, have I been burgled? <laughs>
2: Him and yeah. the captain are like, it's, it's. And the doctor goes, hideous.
4: And that was a great <laughs> line. It was.
1: And then he asks what all the lights are for. And he goes, it's, at- it's atmospheric. And he goes, this is a flight deck of the most powerful space-time machine in the universe. Not a restaurant a f- for the French.
2: French <laughs> oh French
1: Every quip that that guy dropped was gold.
2: Also, all the things that were super offensive were just hilarious. I love it.
4: I loved all of how they pointed out or how Moffat pointed out the differences between the Doctors, too. Uh, Like when he said something about the spaceship and the current Doctor was like, oh, we're still calling that? Yeah. Um, Things like that were really fun. Like, I haven't watched Classic Who, but I could pick up on those things because they were just delivered really well. (laughs) Same.
2: Yeah, I really like that, too.
1: There's actually a big chunk of fandom that's mad at this story because of... uh like all the references to the first doctor being like misogynistic
4: yeah i was gonna bring that up um, and they're like he
1: wasn't like that that wasn't like that
4: whereas there's good the companion you know i don't know if the companion had a different role but they certainly seem to because he mentioned (laughs) like cleaning up things like that. in that
1: that story that they like show at the very beginning the 10th planet Uh, The doctor has two companions, Ben and Polly, and Ben's just, like, beating the shit out of everybody, just going ham, and Polly literally goes and makes coffee.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Is that how it was?
1: Not, no, it wasn't like that all the time, it's just, you know, she's on a military base with a bunch of dudes and, like, he's trying to figure out what to do, but she's also, like, the doctor tells her to play along so she can gain intel, so it's not, like... She's literally just doing that. But also like that line, you're up for a right smacked bottom. That comes from a First Doctor story. He did say that before.
2: I like that hmm. they put it in and then talk about how wrong all of it is. It's not like they put it in and are like, ha ha ha, this is funny. They put it in they're like, this is all very wrong. And we were wrong back in the day. And this is us saying that we were wrong.
0: It's interesting that, um, you know, Jake and I are going through the, all the companions right now and brothers And we talk about this for some of the characters that, like, some of them were kind of thrown on the wayside uh, to kind of fulfill, like, that, well, not even fulfill, like, they just weren't utilized. Like, the characters just weren't utilized, whereas some characters that were also female were fully utilized, and they were really good. And it was just, yeah, it's, it's just weird sometimes, yeah. Well, they also often had big TARDIS
1: teams, so it's... As we may see sometimes going forward here, when you have a large TARDIS team, some characters just sometimes, you know, don't have much to do in a story because, you know, there's only so much you can do. And some writers are better at bigger TARDIS teams than others. And when you have, you know, three companions and two of them are women and you have like the female role of your story, it's going to go to one of them and the other one's going to either scream and get captured or go make coffee.
4: And it's fair when you're talking about big teams, like everyone kind of has their assumed positions and it just like happens naturally. So I yeah. can understand if it's just like someone has to make coffee and someone has to clean the TARDIS. Like it's not always going to be, I don't, I don't right. know. Maybe it's not necessarily a woman thing. It's just a, things have to be done and everyone finds their thing yeah. to do.
1: And a lot of times what Alex and I are learning going through all the companions of the sixties is that, some of these stories are written with the intention of like certain companions being in the story and then by the time it goes into production those people have left the show and there's different people in the TARDIS now and so you have to like finagle the script to kind of you know make it fit the people that exist even if it's fewer people or more people and it kind of rubs up against their characters because it's easier just to throw them a line their character wouldn't have said than to like rewrite the whole script. Anyway.
3: Anyway, now that we've lost you
1: <laughs> No, that that's all getting edited out. We're we're only three minutes into the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh,
1: Jeez. So what, what do y'all think of David Bradley as the first doctor?
3: David Bradley is an amazing actor in every role he plays. But also, yes. Uh how
0: old was um oh shit. Hartnell? Hartnell? Yeah. Like, 57. He was younger than Capaldi. (laughs) How old is Bradley in
1: this, though? Are you you
3: talking about, like, the age index? Like, like how old does he look? Because he looks 112.
1: David Bradley would have
3: been
0: 75. Okay. Because there were a couple of scenes where I was just like, "Oh, that doesn't look great. Whereas, like, Hartnell doing it, like, he seems so spry and just, like, going, you know? Whereas... You know, it, it was good, but it, it like it kind of put me off a little bit on a couple of scenes.
5: <laughs> oh, well, I think also you have to, um, yes, the age works, but he's also dying and fighting the regeneration. True. So I would also put that into the yeah. idea of he's physically dealing with something well, as
1: well. Well, there's a line in the beginning that says you were dying, but now your regeneration has kicked in. That's why you're so sprightly.
3: Oh, that's right man immediately shot down
1: <laughs>
5: thanks thank you um, for that actually, <laughs>
1: actually in that story the 10th planet his last story he like he's gone for a whole episode because the actor William Hartnell was too sick to continue so he's literally like just in bed for an episode and they have just like a body double lying in a bed for him and then like he's pretty feeble in the last couple episodes of that story
3: I, it's it's hard to see Feeble through the
1: grain of the film back then. <laughs> right. But also, like, he was trying his best. He was relatively young, but also, like, had a degenerative disorder that was, you know, about 10 to 12 years away from killing
0: him. I like, in the beginning, how they showed the classic uh, film, but then, like, it it transitioned into, like, this episode. I thought that was kind of cool technology like you could tell it was happening but it was it was just neat that
1: transition
4: cool that it was episodes ago like they didn't say what was was it like
1: 709 or something like that
4: yeah i think that's
2: exactly it
1: uh what would you guys think of mark gatus back in an acting role as captain lethbridge stewart that's mark gatus yeah. yeah, that's Margatus. I
2: forgot that was him. Yeah,
1: that's that's Lazarus. Same. He did
3: extraordinarily well. He's way, way better actor than a writer.
2: Better than Laz- oh, no. Way better than his Lazarus <laughs> role.
1: Although, if you yeah. go back and watch that Lazarus episode, he gets a speech at the end where he's like in a church with a blanket wrapped around him, and he fucking kills it. It's a really good speech.
5: Uh, did he help write the Lazarus episode?
1: Yeah, no. nothing to do with it.
2: thank god and destroying it with acting well (laughs) it wasn't the acting it was the story this story is some of
3: the cgi
1: was a little bit weird in that one too
2: yeah yeah
1: they scorpion kinged it like he was supposed to be like this big arch villain and he was doing it and then they're at the end when he gets to be quiet and have this cool speech it's awesome yeah
0: it
1: was fine I do really love when he first enters the TARDIS and the Doctor's like, oh, we've got this guy from World War One," and he's like, uh, what do you mean, one? Right? Yeah, right. yeah that, that was kind of heartbreaking. All...
4: I don't know if I can distinguish throughout this whole story um, if it was good acting or just a good script, because it was a really good script.
3: I think it was a little bit of both. There sure. is, like, the end of this kind of really episode... You get that taste of true feeling that you can kind of differentiate from all the other like acted feeling when every time the doctor says goodbye, you know, he's like, okay, this is him really saying goodbye to his co-actors. And this is the co-actor saying goodbye to him. And you could see that on just every aspect of their being. And that stuff is just touching. Maybe it's just the effect it has on you seeing the end of these people working together.
2: Yeah, that does make a big difference. Also, this whole episode just had that emotional feel because it was just a big goodbye and complete story wrap-up, which is always nice to see. Strings tied together. And when you have so many strings.
3: And Capaldi knocking it out of the park. Just like the real tears. Also, God, why can't I remember her name? Pearl Mackie. Pearl Mackie is one of those people that can cry and not look
1: disgusting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh <Thanks>.
0: speak speaking <laughs> of Pearl Mackie showing up, when when they said uh we'll let you speak to her again or whatever verbatim, uh and it showed like the silhouette of someone walking forward, I thought for a second it was gonna be River. I was I was kinda uh... jacked. <laughs>
5: I was hoping it was really yeah. too.
0: Oh,
4: that would have been actually been really funny since you hadn't seen this episode. Yeah, I haven't
0: seen it, and I was like, "Oh shit!"
1: And you is this real?
4: No Did record? you
1: guys all skip the opening credits? Uh,
4: Negative. Yeah, yes.
2: she she <laughs> yeah. wasn't listed in the opening credits, though.
0: Pearl Mackie was. Yeah. Oh, I don't pay attention to the yeah. song; it just plays, and oh, I eat Pearl my food. Mackie.
2: I thought I thought you were talking about Clara. Sorry,
0: but it, at
2: the end, it Not has at, to
3: be. Clara for the memory thing
2: right Right. yeah that was the
1: the worst kept secret because I mean we saw it with Amy like it this is just like a Moffat thing so like you know Amy came back for one second and uh yeah and in fact since we're on it I'll burn a fun fact here uh Jenna Coleman couldn't go to Cardiff to shoot that because she was busy working on Victoria so she shot her scene in front of a green screen at the Top Gear office Wow. Oh. Nice. Really Fun well.
4: facts. Matt, look, look at all of
3: these industries working together to get Clara back into Doctor Who. Well, it's one
1: industry <laughs> called <Right>. BBC. <laughs> oh, Bring oh there's back. Top
3: Gear BBC? I don't, I don't know how many studios yep. there
1: are in the greater Great Britain area. Well, there's loads, but Victoria, Doctor Who and BBC or in uh, <laughs> Top Gear all on BBC. Ah, fair enough.
4: So they didn't even have the feels...
1: Yeah,
3: lame. Yeah, Maybe they had like a picture, like a giant cutout of uh, Clara that they slowly brought up to Capaldi's face.
1: There's actually a really sweet conference. I don't know if it's, it's some kind of uh Comic-Con, but it's like Jenna's last season and Peter Capaldi gets up and gives like a really nice like 30 second speech about how awesome she is and then hands her a bouquet of flowers and gives her a kiss on the cheek. It's really sweet. Mm. Wow. Since we moved on to Pearl, would y'all think of kind of her, you know, performance as Bill slash not Bill?
0: Great. I She's great. I liked it, but I'm curious what you guys think about the whole, I am I am Bill because,
2: that's, yep, yeah, that's what I'm she, wondering too.
0: maybe she is Bill up to a point, but Bill has new experiences now that are past when, she quote unquote died. And so is she actually Bill?
4: Does she still have Bill's new Bill's new memories?
5: That's kind of what I was wondering too, is is it just that the glass people are reflecting off the memories of what the doctor has with Bill? Because when he asked her, like, where is Puddle Girl? Uh, like she's she's stuttering and she doesn't know where she's at, so like that whole new part of her life is not there. Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm wondering is, like, all of these glass people are just reflecting the memories that they've shared.
0: I suppose if...
2: But they have growth from there.
1: Well, to follow the logic of the glass people, like, they wouldn't have grabbed her to store her memories until the moment of her death.
0: Which was as a Cyberman.
2: A Cyberman, yeah.
1: Would it have been then or when she dies as, like, a water genie? How could she die? She's a god. Right, that's kind of my thing. So the whole, my whole thing is I think it's dumb that they have her be a glass person because it's (laughs) stupid. Um, You could just, because they're like these crazy future beings that can do whatever they want, why can't they just grab Bill and just be like, here's Bill, she's a magic water elf. Like, because time's frozen, because you guys ruined time, she doesn't have her powers,
0: so she's just Bill. Or Bill Ready, notices set, that and just shows up to help.
1: Right. Like, well, you got you to gotta take her powers away. Otherwise, she's... Too strong? She's the sonic screwdriver. Well, she can solve everything.
3: Well, maybe she's too omniscient to know that there's anything here that needs to be solved. Maybe she comes in as her godly yeah, self, right. disguising, knowing that in this time and space, he's going to run into these glass people. She uses them as cover to talk some sense into the doctor to get him to regenerate and then continues her guise in all of her omniscience as these glass people and then just teleports away in the end
1: I just want Bill yeah me too
2: <laughs> so the real question is is memories the only thing that makes up a person
3: no like the water yeah and... uh, oh my
2: gosh I, if you were sitting <laughs> next to me I would punch you right now you're lucky you moved to the chair <laughs>
0: Well, I don't understand the question. <laughs> that is the question, though. Like, what what makes a person a person? Like their personality and their uh, experiences of the world that have made them them are all memories. Is, is it is it just a like our our brains just a pile of memories, and that's no. what makes us us?
4: Because we influence our memories. Like we get to influence the actions that we took to create the memory.
0: Considering
3: our memories are just lies and fake and half the shit doesn't happen and we manipulate everything that we've formerly knew that would be such a weird approach to But say you're that.
1: you're comparing your perception to reality that doesn't make a difference between whether you're you or not if you're just a clone with your memories put in well
3: i don't it's such a weird fucking So that's question. another
2: great question are <laughs> well it's just their memory so it's how they remember the events it's not like their whole life
4: like it's as just a, a memory thing, <laughs> yeah.
1: But it is like something that happened to you that you don't remember. Does that influence your life other than maybe physically? Like you broke your toe when you were nine.
2: You wouldn't remember that. <laughs> no, I was yeah, I super
5: guess, high like, when I was nine. Most of your nine. young life, you probably don't remember. So, yeah, and then, like, how does that work with all of your, like, because I'm guessing the woman who made this, uh is meant it for, like, anyone can use these to get their dead ones back. But, like, how does that work with, uh like, Alzheimer's or people with have, like, brain damage or anything like that? Like, can you still retrieve the memories that they've lost or is it again just everything that they can physically remember
1: at the Hold time Hold
4: on, I really like the term their dead ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> that's my new favorite. <laughs>
0: Here are my dead ones.
4: <laughs> I would like to talk to my dead one again.
0: <laughs> Bring out your dead ones.
4: <laughs> but
1: also in her explanation of what this is for, like I know she says the dead can walk among us, but I don't think that's the point. I think the point is that it's like uh Depository of all knowledge. Anyway, the stuff when we just sit here and wonder what things are about and what they mean. I edit all this out because it's boring as hell. Oh, <laughs> alright. But I do want to talk about memory in general as an obsession of Moffat Like uh it's kind of been his theme throughout his time as the showrunner. But with uh you know, it's always been an important part. Like in the first season, it was all about Amy can bring everybody back if she can remember them. And it's all about what you can remember, like with Rory having never existed and her being able to bring him back. And then the same thing with the doctor and then going into the silence and how they can make you forget when you don't see them and you know, how your memory can affect your actions. And then going to Clara and the doctor and their whole, uh, climax being that the doctor has to forget Clara in order to save the universe and then right up until here where it's using memory as a philosophical question of what makes a person a person
3: well this is just uh this is the quest that moffat took us on to finally give us his thoughts on existence it's moffat saying memory is everything so in all those other episodes he's trying to make an impact on the crowd because his writing style is impactful to memories or memories being a big deal And everybody's like, why the fuck are memories such a big deal in all of Moffat's writing? And Moffat says, okay, I'll tell you why. And then this episode.
1: Memories, strong women who talk really fast, and (laughs) people who live forever and go off with their female best friend. slash lover. And water gods.
4: You're right on the jackets. Right? Oh, hell
5: yeah. Oh my God. Bill looked phenomenal in this episode (laughs) like her
1: shirt was so pretty banging jackets are not careful choose your next words wisely (laughs) they're not the sole possession of Stephen moffat's era of doctor who okay i don't know if you remember martha at all or rose's sweet ass black jacket when she's on the beach saying this is how i died yeah roses was banging that was my MVP in that story.
4: It's a Doctor Who thing. Uh, we're,
1: we're talking about Bill yeah. right now. <laughs> I'm just saying, let's not act like I'm Moffat saying... came up with dope ass jackets for his companions.
5: And then the Doctor's jacket, too, is like just tatters and ripped apart. Like, I, I'm so happy that they kept that from that previous tatters.
4: episode.
3: Tatters. Tatters. Can we call Terry Tatters?
2: Terry Tatters. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought, tatters. No, I we, thought
3: we already not. did. Oh. <laughs> Ain't that
1: right, Tatters?
2: No. Oh, man,
3: I'm late to the party.
4: It's <laughs> <laughs> a great name.
1: All right, so the most important cameo or return is our good friend, Rusty the Dalek.
4: Yes.
0: Yeah, I really like that. That was a lot of fun.
4: Aw, it was cute.
3: It was pretty sweet.
4: And he yeah. ripped out his
5: gun for the doctor.
4: Was it his gun?
5: It was his gun. I don't know.
1: He's naked now, apparently.
4: The Daleks never gotten naked for the doctor.
1: For some reason, I don't remember i'm pretty sure this is true the first time i watched this like when they show up on that place and you see like that dalek mutant jump on captain lethbridge stewart's face as soon as that happened i was like oh it's rusty <laughs> like for some reason i just called it immediately really just seems like a moffat thing to do oh huh.
5: i was wondering what those brain squid things were oh, Daleks. Like, i didn't make sense of them I thought they were dream crabs that didn't have the shell anymore. I don't know why. <laughs> well, and
1: the first doctor, having had two experiences with the Daleks by this point, says like, oh, are those what I think they are? And the and Peter Capaldi says, um, yeah, they're a little mutated, but yeah. And, and that's because these are Rusty's Daleks. Like, he is separated from the main Dalek group and is, like, making his own.
0: Oh, shit. He's oh, right. so... He made his own Daleks. I just don't have shells.
4: I thought he was killing Daleks.
0: Well, these are different. they're mutated. they're like
1: in his image.
0: Whoa, I didn't put that together. That's Maybe.
1: crazy. It's the logical conclusion.
4: Uh, okay, hold on in the in the story, the doctor said, or he says, "I'm what have you been up to or whatever?" And he said, killing Daleks." And he said, "Oh, that explains the mess or pile or something out front."
1: Oh, like they're loose Daleks from him destroying all these Dalek tanks trying to get at him.
4: Yes.
0: That's that's what I thought. That's what I thought they
1: were. Yeah, I'll go with that. I completely missed that line. Uh, But while he's up there talking to Rusty, we get Bill coming out of the TARDIS to talk to the first Doctor. And giving the great line, like, maybe there's just a bloke going around setting things right when they go wrong. And while she's doing that, the 10th Doctor's theme plays.
0: I thought, it's that theme, I thought that theme sounded like familiar. I, I couldn't place it, but that would make sense. Well, and this being Murray Gold's last story
1: is kind of like his greatest hits. Like he sneaks in a lot of old songs and I'm not good enough with that kind of stuff to know to pick up on 99% of them. But you can you can find lists of like, oh, in here he put in this song that was like this part of this Ood story and blah, blah, blah.
0: I thought I recognized one that was like the uh, it was like a light um, kind of airy song and it was a lady going. ooh. Or like, yeah, that's whatever. the 10th Doctor's theme. That's the 10th one. OK, I didn't know if that was yeah. like a companion. I thought it was a companion one, but I couldn't. Yeah. OK. Uh,
1: and then we get something that uh, literally makes me cry every time. And it's the Christmas Armistice.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Where they're singing, singing the song.
1: What's yeah. it like
2: to have feelings? I
0: don't know, man. It's uh... <laughs> it's deeply troubling. <laughs> okay.
4: yeah. The whole captain story is just, I think, hits the feels. And then like finding he... out
2: at the end who it is.
4: Yeah, and and just the um, similarities between his story and the doctor's story, and his acceptance of death, and then not having to die. Yeah. It was just. It was a really nice story.
1: Like his little speech about like thinking maybe there had been a miracle, but then yeah, at, when he's sitting in the TARDIS, he's like, "I was ready to die, and then I was saved, and now I have to go back." And it's like I was ready, and now I'm not because it's a different situation.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and just the delivery from Gatus on the on that was yeah, oh, The chef's kiss, so good.
4: And I wonder. So that's obviously where the doctors, both doctors, are at as well. Like they know they need to die, and they're not ready right. for it, and that's why we're getting this story. But maybe a little bit Moffity too. Like he knows his time's <laughs> well, done.
1: moffitt has been ready to go for a while. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, you think you're ready to go, but then when it comes time, yeah, are you? But he was.
1: Um, he always jokes that after the 50th anniversary, like he was too. He was so busy he forgot to quit. <laughs> And then have once Chibnall was hired and there was going to be, like, a break before Chibnall was ready to go, instead of, like, he wanted there to be a Christmas special because it was Russell T. Davies, like, dream to have a Christmas special on BBC every year. And so he did, like, this whole last season just to have that Christmas special, even though he didn't want to do the show anymore.
2: Wow. This is the last Christmas special?
1: Right, and then Chris Chibnall takes the show and immediately gets rid of the Christmas special. Uh,
2: <laughs> speaking of being ready to go, I kind of enjoyed this doctor saying, Doctor, I let you go, as compared to Tenet's I don't want to go line.
1: Yeah, that's definitely something I was going to bring up because I love it too. I love that whole the whole speech he does and the like, hey, before you come, Doctor, there's some there's some rules.
4: Do you
2: think that was like written in because everyone did everyone hate that line the i don't want to go line
3: no no no, no. they I've, better because it's no, terrible i think that was
1: very <laughs> tenant's doctor this is very capaldi doctor but here's here's the four we have we have you were fantastic and so was i i'll never forget when the doctor was me doctor i let you go and I don't want to go.
4: Right. <laughs> the the man okay. fucking don't. They
1: asked you to stay on for another season, and you didn't. Well, is he the one that wrote that line?
3: <laughs> no.
2: But he agreed to stay. So who it? wrote
3: the fucking line? Was it Moffat?
1: No, it was RTD. Oh, it was RTD.
2: And Moffat wow. was like, "That was bad. We're going to do the opposite." <laughs> but
1: it does give us a great joke in the 50th anniversary special. <laughs> well, <laughs> when. David Tennant says, "Oh, we need a new, de- new destination because Trenzalore. I don't want to go." And then Matt Smith going, "He always says that." <laughs> 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 That's fucking hilarious.
2: <laughs> Literally set it up just for that joke.
3: Yeah, probably. <laughs> I I absolutely understand, and I see where anybody who dislikes the line comes from, but I enjoy it.
0: I like it. I think that I think that line is the most humanizing line that yes that's the one that
3: everybody can really yeah i i get that i understand that
1: (laughs) but it it comes after like you know waters of mars with the time lord victorious and then wilf trapped in the box and him pounding his chest saying i could do so much more and it just kind of seems like to get to the point Uh, to get to matt smith there needed to be a resolution to that and i don't feel like we got it Uh, like him accepting his death and walking towards the Ood was supposed to be like oh he gets it but that's just it wasn't enough for me nah fuck your resolution this
3: is about raw
1: unfiltered (laughs) rage right but i don't see how that guy who's pounding on his chest and saying i should have done so, so much more could 20 minutes later be matt smith well, yeah, are you saying it, just
3: like as a transition from being this emotional creature into Matt Smith,
1: right? Just to be like carrying all that baggage and then it's just not existing. And I get that, like it's a different showrunner and that's not the story he wanted to tell. But just I think RTD joy. should have done a RTD should have done a better job of wrapping that part of it up before handing the show over instead of like
0: escalating it with "I don't want to go." And but I, I think the that, stuff that happened before it. I think that kind of. I mean, we're really off track here, but I think that uh, kind of plays into the humanity of it is that we all do shit that we don't want to do, but we do it anyway because we have to. And that was Tenant doing the thing he had, not Tenant, but the doctor (laughs) doing the thing he had to do. That's what this story is about. Right.
4: They're both very similar. Can I throw in that as someone who sees death often because I work in a nursing home, you totally see both sides. Like, you see the, I'm not ready, but I know it's time, and you see the, yeah, I've lived my whole life, and I'm ready for this.
1: Yeah, but I don't think that's what I'm saying I don't like about the what happened at the end of the Tenth Doctor. I'm not saying, like, I don't think he's having a struggle with not wanting to die. Like, nobody wants, every Doctor doesn't want to die when it happens. It's just that whole, the Time Lord Victorious arc that they went through in the specials. I don't think was resolved satisfactorily enough, and in the even in his regeneration, there like in that moment there should have been something that showed a growth beyond that, so that the show can go on. And I don't think I don't want to go was the resolution that that required. Nothing to do with you know doing what he had to do, like he does do what he has to do, and he would have every time.
3: Anyway, question: Are we uh are we taking questions, Jake?
2: Um, I suppose we'll open for questions for uh. Oh. what's his name now?
1: Sorry, Tatter. She said Tatter.
4: T- Tatter. No, <laughs> Bill <laughs> also asks a lot of questions.
1: <laughs> yeah, she came out and said it. I almost put that in my notes that like Bill admitted to being forky.
3: <laughs> Tada! <laughs>
2: Tatters. Oh no. all right tatters what you got (sighs) okay
3: (laughs) so i could be
5: stupid i also just do not care for history as a person history is not a person (laughs) i know (laughs) um lethbridge stewart yeah is that uh does like one of his uh descendants become a companion of the doctors later on like how That's... i didn't understand the the first doctor will get to know uh, him better his
1: i assume son is the brigadier from 70s and 80s doctor who
2: oh and then, kate okay. and then like the name
1: didn't yeah ring kate stewart would be his granddaughter
2: oh yeah kate
5: stewart not oh oh yeah 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 so the whole that mr pink
1: cyberman episode that would have been
5: yeah they're okay okay that makes sense. so when capaldi
1: like he asks if phil check in on his family and capaldi's like yeah he he does (laughs) don't worry because he spends a lot of time with him
0: i didn't see that coming and and it blew me away jill was like what's what's wrong i was like oh fuck like i was walking around (laughs) moffat's obsessed
1: with the brig like he had a whole storyline in season eight Yeah, at the end of Season 8, with uh, the Brig being a Cyberman and having his picture on the airplane.
3: He wasn't a brigadier here, though. Right? No, this this
2: guy's a captain. This is 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 his dad. dad. We're guessing.
1: And I'm assuming dad. It could be grandfather, but the Brig was, like, you know, in his 30s in the late 60s. I just Well, yeah, so this would been twenty years. So yeah, this would, could be that his would grandfather. Check
0: out. Yeah.
1: No, if this was like nineteen fourteen.
0: I suppose we'd well, yeah, how old was his boys, I guess, in this episode?
1: Well, in order to be thirty in the late sixties, his boys would have to be negative twenty years old. <laughs> Hold on, when was World War One? <laughs> <laughs> have we learned the
5: doctor's name yet? I feel like we have, but we... we no, don't. we yeah. never will. Even if we could. Okay. Unless we're children. He says the line, children can hear it. Yeah.
1: It's like the whole point of season seven is that we should never know the doctor's name.
4: Was Podbaby watching?
2: I yeah. was going to say, I looked directly <laughs> at Jet and I was like, what is it? Or Sorry, Podbaby. What's Baby. His name? And I was like, what's his name, child?
1: Well, let's burn another fun fact here. Um, the Twelfth Doctor's final lines about his name and how only children would understand it is taken directly from Peter Capaldi answering a question during a press screening for the pilot, Bill's first episode.
4: Hmm. He just so made Moffat that up. Heard,
1: well, he was. Someone asked him a question about the Doctor's name, and so he just started spouting off this theory of his, and Moffat was like in the corner jotting it down. Wow,
4: <laughs> oh, that's cool.
0: Just writing furiously, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah.
5: This guy DMs.
0: <laughs>
5: I also just realized recently, uh, and by that I mean like maybe 10 minutes ago, that Nardal's dead. Like, yeah. that's why I was able to come back as a glass guy. I'm like, oh shit, I totally forgot. Like, yeah. that whole ship has probably gone
0: into the I black know. hole. I know, I asked
4: Alex, I'm like, when did Nardal die?
0: But yeah, we, we yeah, also, they were dead. we also. I mean, everybody dies at some point. Like we knew Nartle was gonna die. We yeah, didn't. And this know... is in the
1: far future. He could have died any time.
0: Right, and we didn't know his nipples were glass. So <laughs> <laughs> right, we always learn something new about Nardle every episode.
5: <laughs> and invisible. Turns out hair.
0: Matt Lucas also did not know he
1: had glass nipples, but he did know he had invisible hair and that it's blue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: exceptional.
1: Alex, give me that Twitter theme song.
0: Tweet, tweet 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 tweet
1: tweet 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 I totally fucked up because I meant to like I was gonna change it up and sprinkle the tweets in amongst our conversation, like one here, one there, instead of just me reading for twenty minutes.
2: Um. Oh, uh,
1: another question, please. Uh, no, sorry. Can we
2: not talk about the song that Alex just did? That was wonderful. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna <laughs> give you a pat on the back Job there. Alex. Oh,
0: cool. Thanks. But I liked it. I don't remember what I did. <laughs> Were we going to
5: talk about the regeneration at the end, or are we holding that off Nah, octolator? we all know what
3: happened.
4: <laughs> the doctor's a woman. Um, okay,
1: I'll read this tweet, and then you can bring it up. Or maybe the one after that. Once there's one that says something about the regeneration, then say, Oh yeah, speaking of the actual regeneration. Okay. Oh, yeah. So this, the second one I'm going to do, Chris's, he he talks about it.
2: All right, Terry, or sorry, what's his name again?
1: Tatters.
3: It's Terry. It's tatters. Terry. It's Tendy.
2: Producer <laughs> <Yeah. or> Tatters. <laughs> tatters. Uh, do you have your script written down? Are you ready?
1: I will okay, jot my go. notes. Okay, just don't type them, for the love of God. <laughs> tap, tap, do it. tap, tap, tippity, <laughs> tippity, tippity, tippity. 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 <laughs> <laughs> tippaloo. All right. Nick Focus at Jury of Underscore One says, I really like this one. There isn't really a plot, but the way the characters play off each other so well. I really think this is the best writing of the first Doctor outside of his own era. There's been a couple times he's been written outside of his era. Finally being written as the youngest Doctor, nervous about his future, as opposed to in the classic multi-Doctor stories, which just treat him as the oldest and most authoritative of the Doctor's. I like how Christmas is woven into the ending, and the characters played by Gatiss and Whithouse are fun parts for two of the longest-running writers of New Who. Capaldi is obviously fantastic, and I really like testimony and the eventual reveal that it isn't an evil plan, even if Bill acts suspiciously for no reason in a couple of scenes. (laughs) Right? I love Capaldi's ending speech, and seeing all of his companions one last time was so satisfying. Love Murray Gold's score, even if he's using his last episode to just reuse the greatest hits from the last 12 years. Hope you're all excited for the Whittaker era. She's a lot of fun in the role. That being said, I love this as a send-off for my favorite doctor. And it's fitting that the last thing we see of 12 is his eyebrows. Aww. Aww. Nice. It's the first thing and the last thing, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Chris at This Emo Trash says, This is such a bittersweet episode, full of so much joy, and yet it's so sad at the same time. Probably my favorite rep- regeneration story. Maybe only just behind the war games. Because it's not really about defeating a monster or solving a mystery. It's just a character piece uh, for both the Doctors. Two Doctors at their end, both symbolizing the end of errors. David Bradley is perfect as one, even if his voice isn't strictly the same way Hartnell spoke. He plays it brilliantly, and you feel both his authority and his fear of death. I love that he isn't just a Doctor, but also a representation of what things were like in the 60s, with more casual sexism and less PC talk uh to also show how far things have come since then even if it's not exactly how the first doctor would have been uh mark gatis is absolutely brilliant the pain he puts into the line what do you mean one is one of the best lines in the episode it bears no meaning on the rest of the story but in it enforces his character's feelings more as that's all this episode is about each character's feelings although it does make me want a companion this from the past there isn't even much of a story to talk about since it's all in the characters, which is what Moffat and Talley do well together. It's great that they're both each other's reasons for changing their stance on regenerating. One is scared of what is to come, and Twelve is scared of not being himself anymore. I do admire the balls on Moffat, though, for changing the First Doctor's last words, but I like that since it gives him a real ending instead of keep warm or whatever it actually was. <laughs> uh, Clara and Nardal appearing is great giving him his memories of Clara again, and we get to imagine Matt Lucas's nipples. What's not to love? Uh,
4: this,
1: (laughs) This regeneration scene is probably the saddest that we've ever had. You really get the feeling that this doctor doesn't want to regenerate, but he knows he has to, and so wants to make sure whoever is next gets it right. Some people have criticized both the length of the scene and the part where he says children can hear his name but those people could fuck off because it was all perfect.
0: <laughs> Every time
1: I watch this, I get sad because it's saying goodbye to my favorite doctor, writer, director, and even the composer. This is the end of my favorite era. And then Jodie appears and I am immediately so full of hope and joy. And I love her from those first few seconds. I'm really excited to hear what the married sink of Whitaker going forward. As sad as I am that we're leaving the Moffat Capaldi era. I'm so excited to rewatch Whitaker and piss off any, not my doctors with how much I love. Her. <laughs> Boom. Ooh,
5: speaking of regenerations, I thought they did her introduction just beautifully of just like seeing her, like the ring falling off her finger and her adjusting the screens and like you get glimpses of her face before they actually pan up to her. Like I was just beautifully shot.
0: Yeah, that was really cool.
1: Yeah, to burn another fun fact, when the ring falls off her finger... Only the secondary band of the ring is in the shot. This is because the first band is still on Capaldi's finger because that's his wedding ring.
0: Ta-da. How oh, funny. Uh, also, did they ever go through why the TARDIS explodes every time there's a regeneration? Right. Well, I want
1: to know why the doctor's like, man, I'm about to regenerate. Better put the TARDIS in flight because well, that it, always the works. The TARDIS <laughs> was
2: moving fine. Regeneration complete. She presses a button and then it just goes bonkers. <laughs>
3: Well, but Why do they always I mean, got to put it in flight? T- well, yeah, it's that's, It's like the ride or die. It's when you, you mount your hog and you ride off into the sunset, <laughs> We're talking about the
2: end of, uh, what was that show? Also, Sun's if they're looking for Anakin? ideas
3: on how Whitaker t- regenerates. What?
2: You got an what? idea? What?
3: <laughs> Are you saying that
5: immediately after in the next scene, she's going to die? Well, and no. You're, already You're already done with her? Doctor? But no, eventually she's
3: going to regenerate. And she should get on a Harley and just ride off into the sunset, which is re- regeneration energy shooting off into the fucking distance. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I'm sure she'll get in the TARDIS, set, set it for flight, it and explode. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: so this regeneration scene, I personally was not a huge fan of it. I'm not a big fan of people falling through the air and like waving their arms around. Just not my
3: Is that your thing. earthquake scene? Yes. Little niche.
2: Yeah. That's
1: your version of it? you want to know what the title for the next episode is
2: falling the Uh-oh. doctor
1: falls <laughs> it's the woman who fell to earth oh jeez. ouch Ooh. that's gonna hurt
2: yeah she might have to regenerate immediately
3: <laughs> maybe she'll pull a Matt Smith <laughs> and land in the pool a pool somewhere
5: or would she still be in like mid-regeneration so all of her wounds are still fixing themselves maybe and she's okay like the she one sleeps doctor the, one doctor. the whole episode
2: oh god <laughs> no <laughs> and then
5: it's just some random passerby i'm your companion now
2: <laughs> this was probably my favorite christmas episode not that i could name them all but
3: this episode is just so important to the canon that it yeah. seeds its space
1: whereas christmas episodes very frequently are they had the christmas armistice it's the most christmasy thing that ever christmased
3: yeah <laughs> You don't like Christmas flying sharks? The Christmas armistice was literally thirty seconds of the episode. You're what f- you're about the
4: wardrobe in f- and the snow and whatever that episode was that we liked and no one else did?
1: Yeah, yeah, there is one with Santa in it <laughs> and Dreamcrabs.
4: Yeah,
2: this, but it's not as good. Like I, I think I would rate it below this one. <laughs> there, there's, there's just just too much going on in this one. It's so good.
1: If we got rid of all the glass people stuff, then yes, I agree. <laughs> Oh yeah, speaking of glass people,
5: I was really sad with the CGI on this. <laughs> they it seemed like they were, like, B-rated movie glass people. I'm sorry, I didn't think but, they yeah, were that bad. I was not enthused. They had to blow up a TARDIS, man.
2: I've seen yeah. a much worse CGI. That
5: scene was wonderful. Like just seeing it exploding and then disappear from sight, like that would be horrible. Talking about
1: spending money, they also had to recreate the first Doctor's TARDIS. They Again, to burn fun facts, uh, they cre- like recreated a whole set from the tenth planet and shot a number of scenes with complete set re- reconstruction. They recast a bunch of characters. They had Mondasian Cybermen. Um, they tried to make the cinematography match the old, the original, and the original production values as much as they could, and they had a lot of fun, but didn't use it.
5: Oh, sad. That would have been super fun. That is like dedication to art right there. It's so
1: so. Apparently they showed some of those shots in like a cinema showing of Twice Upon a Time.
2: Hmm.
0: We also didn't talk about the first Doctor seeing the history of the Doctor up until now and seeing the Doctor be the War Doctor. Well, Doctor of War. Doctor of War. I wrote that
2: section down because i don't remember all of it um because who says he was the destroyer of worlds that was uh what's his face davros davros and then the glass people call him the imp of the pandorica that one's super (laughs) memorable the shadow of the valley yard yep i don't know what that is
1: uh the Valyards like a dark representation of the Doctor. It's a lot.
2: <laughs> the Beast of Trenzalore. Got of it. The Butcher of Skull Moon. Made up. Oh, the Last Tree of yet? Garcinon.
1: Don't know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the Destroyer of Skaro. Yeah. Doctor. Got. Yep. Know that D- one. Doctor of War. So I was just really curious. I was like. I feel like these are big things and I should remember all of them, but I do not know what some of these are.
0: Well, and I I think it was like it was meant to be that like it's supposed to be some that we've seen and then maybe some that might be happening in the future or haven't happened yet or just were off screen. Um, but I also liked the story in that the first doctor saw that was like, what the hell? And then eventually got around and be like, oh, I understand what it is to be the doctor now this is okay and then that was kind of his acceptance into regeneration is is how I picked it up
1: speaking of Moffat reusing ideas it's the same thing as the 50th anniversary with the war doctor seeing who he becomes in Matt Smith and David Tennant and being like okay it's all right to go push the button
2: push the button some heavy stuff
1: uh ode underscore ollie at ode underscore ollie says hopefully the last really long one for a while give it to us (laughs) Uh, first of all this one's only 20 tweets long and his last two have both been 29 so (laughs) way to fall off the cliff there ollie ollie fucking (laughs) hated this episode (laughs) uh i know this can be a controversial episode for some but there are a few things or and there are a few things i'm not a fan of but i do have a real soft spot for it Just to get it out of the way, I'll start with the negatives, and the obvious thing is the way the first Doctor is written. Pretty sure it's what most people have a problem with. From just this episode, anyone unfamiliar with the first Doctor, like you people, (laughs) uh, would probably think he was an unrelenting sexist, and that's so aggravating. Moffat seems to have ignored the character development one had had by the end of his life in favor of a running gag, and even if it was just to show how much the Doctors change, that could have been achieved by focusing on one's reluctance to get involved and Twelve being the active protector of Earth instead. And the scene with Rusty seems a bit shoehorned in, like they wanted links to the start of Capaldi's run, but to me, the choice doesn't really fit with the rest of the story. Having said that, I still really like this episode, and as a send-off for Twelve, I think it works so well, showing the essence of his character and the journey he went on, exploring the darkness without losing the lightness and emotion at the heart of the story and barring the sexism i really like the way the first doctor is played in this with his grumpiness and sternness so obvious but with the glint of kindness showing through so easily too and david bradley is incredible in the role capturing the spirit of hartnell's portrayal without making it a caricature making the role distinct and similar and the interactions between the two doctors are incredible the outrage at 12 not seeming younger is brilliant and the reaction to one learning about what he will face and become is wonderfully done showing his apprehension so clearly and his uncertainty about who the 12th doctor is is so cleverly played and the way their relationship and understanding of each other develops is magnificent going from outrage and embarrassment to mutual respect and finding inspiration in each other i really like how the captain is used in this showing and outright saying how important a single person can be the first doctor not understanding why the captain is important and 12 instantly knowing shows the contrast between them so well And for a character who exists to show that point, Gatiss plays him really well, given so much weight and emotion to him. And I know it was obvious to some, but I like the Lethbridge-Stewart reveal, and I like the gentle tributes to the Brig and Classic Who that they put in. The focus on an exploration of the importance of memory is done so well, especially with a Doctor who relies on it so much through his tenure. Having Bill be an avatar lets her show, and outright say again, how much the Doctor needs memories and how much a person is their memories. That message is so much more poignant when it's tied to a regeneration, like 10's reward and 11's final speech. The regeneration episodes always look back and have a focus on the Doctor's emotions and beliefs. Pearl's performance in this is wonderful, still being the Bill we know, but giving her a little more wisdom and knowledge of the Doctor's history, and her talent for bringing the emotions out in her scenes is on full display here, especially in her goodbye speech. The idea of having one of the more confrontational doctors investigating a villain with no evil plan is great, as is the scene of him realizing he doesn't know what to do when there isn't one, showing him after he fought so hard for so long that there are other kind of people in the universe giving him hope after so long and inspiring him to carry on. That's a lovely touch for the story to have. The final few minutes of the episode are one of my favorite moments in Who. I know it could have been seen as self-indulgent, but I really like it. The goodbyes and regenerations always get to me. Twelve showing one what it means to be a Doctor of War is wonderful. I didn't see the Christmas Armistice coming, and I find it really a really moving reveal. Twelve's goodbye speech to Bill and Nardol is wonderful. Bill teaching the Doctor how hard it is to let go of him is lovely, funny, and so touching. And the Clara cameo is predictable, but works really well. Nardal's appearance is also predictable, but I really like it. Funny and light, Twelve asking if he can rest is such a quiet, emotional moment, and I love its tenderness. The relationship between the three is played so wonderfully. Twelve's final speech is incredible and glorified, treated with so much awe and reverence. I love the way the scene is shot, making it so impressive to watch. I love how much his final speech sums him up, his journey through his life. The speech is so tender and gentle, but filled with so much strength and emotion. Him talking to the TARDIS is brilliant, as is knowing that they'd get it all wrong without him. The line about only children being able to hear his name is amazing. Love the connections the Twelve has with children. The whole message of the speech is wonderful, promoting love and kindness and avoiding hate, especially after the description of his life as a battlefield. It's lovely to see the Doctor inspired again. And the sadness of the final line is so affecting but fits his character so well. Uh, the introduction of Thirteenth Doctor is absolutely brilliant. The reverence it's shot with is wonderful. Jodie captures the Doctor so well at those few moments, her enthusiasm and joy showing so clearly... Then her tendency for bad luck and the final shots of the fall to earth are so thrilling and intense, grabbing the audience and leaving us in shock and excited for what's to come. I really hope you all enjoyed this. Really looking forward to what you think of what's going to come and excited to finally be getting a podcast to you. Just one thing to sort out and then hopefully you'll be hearing it.
2: Oh,
1: jeez.
0: Oh boy. That's exciting.
2: Are we going to be allowed to listen to it? Is the next question? (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, good question.
0: Uh, get it
1: figured out. I'll, I'll listen to it first and let you know. <laughs> yeah, no spoilers, Ollie, for the 13th era.
2: He thought it was obvious to some people, not to him, about the captain. I, I'd, I'd, Those people are too <laughs> smart for me.
1: Well, to get a differing view, Passion Fruit to Jar Candle at B underscore Bird underscore Moth says... Genuinely cannot stand it. Oh,
3: I thought no. Season
1: 10 had an almost perfect send-off for 12, and especially Bill. Then this happened. An unorganized, underwhelming mess. The biggest waste of a multi-Doctor story since Dimensions in Time. I dislike it to the extent I skip it every time. As if they couldn't disappoint me with my favorite Doctor's final story, they just had to disappoint me with a totally unnecessary Clara cameo. For me, it just feels like a last-minute episode that he didn't want to write, Awful send-off for everyone involved. Oh, no. Damn.
2: (laughs) Can we we fight our listeners?
1: Nope. No, I like that. I I like that brevity. And I, like, totally get everything that she's saying.
2: I feel like bringing Clara back was necessary. For, like, the memory point of view, it really hits home how important memories are. I don't know.
1: Well, you have to do it for story's sake, because... Yeah, you might want to use or reference Clara in the future, and not just the show, but comic books, novels, board games, whatever. Like you can't just have him forget a companion who is in three years of the show.
3: It it felt like hard fan service. Yeah, yeah, but that's all it does. I mean, the whole episode was kind of fan
1: service. But I think like Karen Gillan walking down the stairs and touching Matt Smith's face is like as egregious agree i can I think there's no point for I it. i
3: can agree
1: just with that boo. <laughs> no
3: boo you boo. boo
1: you fuck off boo, boo this you. man alex give me that fun fact season
0: fun uh, fun fun facts
1: i do quickly want to thank everyone who tweets in and contributes to the show if you want to participate you can do so at married to who pod on twitter uh, let's see, I've already said a whole bunch of these. Okay, Toby Whithouse, another Doctor Who writer, was the German soldier in the pit with Mark Gatiss. Um, He is the fifth person to have both written for and acted in Doctor Who. The others being Victor Pemberton, Derek Sherwin, Glyn Jones, and Mark Gatiss. Uh, Whithouse and Gatiss are the only two in New Who to have done that. And they're also the only two at all to have written multiple stories uh, Gatus and Whithouse were the most prolific writers during Stephen Moffat's time as the showrunner, other than Moffat himself. So, we got his two buddies in there for his last story. Nice. That was pretty cool. That's a fun fact. It's fun. <laughs> um, among everyone else whose time is over on the show, I do want to mention Michael Pickwode, who is the production designer on the last 74 episodes of dr who that we've seen um he passed away the following august after this episode aired he created the tardis interior uh for or this tardis interior my my personal favorite tardis interior of all time um as well as like really stunning sets like the last great frost fair the doctor riding into a castle on a tank uh we haven't really been giving him our, or his due when we do like our MVPs and stuff because we tend to pick like, you know, makeup artists or CGI or whatever. But as the lead production designer, he oversees all those departments and like is like the liaison between them to make sure they all have like a clear image of what the show is going to look like. So like costuming, makeup, set design, CGI, like he is in charge of everything and he really made a show that looks awesome and he's also the production designer for the one season of class and whether or not you like that show you can't deny that it looks awesome
0: well done i, li- I like it
1: some love to michael Pickwood. if all he mm. did was design that tardis that would be enough for me it's a good one i also like to look at all the actors to see if they've been in doctor who before or if they've been in uh harry potter game of thrones or star wars uh nikki amuka bird was helen clay aka the glass woman she also played beth in an episode of torchwood called sleeper david cromarty was a soldier in his third and final appearance in doctor who he was also a soldier in empress of mars and in thin ice in both or all three in this series uh lewis reynolds was a german soldier this was his only doctor who he was also a costume prop modeler in solo a star wars story the last jedi rogue one and in fantastic beasts and where to find them so just i'm a prop modeler i've got a career oh i'm just going to be a soldier in the background in an episode of doctor
4: Who. (laughs) why not
1: alex give me that MVP theme song can you hear me yeah
4: alex stepped out for a brief moment
1: Jill, give me that MVP Ooh, theme song. No. <laughs> Tatters, give me that MVP theme song.
5: MVP. <laughs> this, this is just, just turned into a whodunit. <laughs>
1: Tatters, who's your MVP?
5: I am going to give it to David Bradley. Hey. For he did a wonderful job. Also, Jenna Coleman. No, oh. The only one.
1: Oh, no. and you can't give it to Jenna Jedi
4: Coleman. Coleman? For that. Hey, I debated. Uh, yeah,
1: she stole the show <laughs> <laughs> for saying "daft old man," my favorite phrase. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, Sam.
2: Oh. David
4: Bradley.
3: Cody. Peter fucking Capaldi. Ye.
1: Jill.
4: It's so hard. Moffat.
1: Yeah, Is Alex still gone? Yep. Okay, so I remember the thing I wanted to bring up after um, Ollie's tweets was he brought up Bill being like more more confident and like more knowledgeable and I really like Pearl in that role of someone who's like kind of like wicked smart and capable instead of being like forky that's
2: not how you say wicked smart (laughs) wicked smart thanks
1: (laughs) but i think she did a good job as the forky version of bill but as a character that's like more confident and knowledgeable and just like able i think she's really good in that role so i'm also going to give pearl mackie my mvp Wow. and by also i mean i think i'm the only person
0: (laughs) so far we alex who got I'm gonna give it to Peter Capaldi. Last one. It was great. <laughs> he captivated the screen. Well done. So we got two for
1: Bradley, two for Capaldi, one for Pearl oh, Mackey, Moffitt. one for Moffitt, and half of one for Jenna Coleman.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: That seems like too many people.
1: Who all voted? Yeah, Terry tried getting two again.
5: Uh, because I have a new Shut name. Shut up, tatters. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: it is now time for everybody's favorite podcast game, the Doug Benson slash Doctor Who Trivial Pursuit game. In this game, I ask each of these nerds a question from the Doctor Who Trivial Pursuit. Normally, if someone gets it wrong, the next person gets the same question, but with four multiple choice we are bypassing that system for this very special end-of-an-era podcast. There will be no multiple choice what? in any of these questions.
4: Why they are Alex? All Alex wins.
1: Brutal. They are all questions from Peter Capaldi's era. Double brutal. And they are just all of a nature where having multiple choice does not work. Okay. Interesting. I have randomly selected the order ahead of time, and it will be Terry, Alex, Sam, Cody, Jill. Never number one. Jill, I think being last is really gonna be working your favor for this one. <laughs> yeah,
4: I'm sure Can I'm really I just good at trivia.
2: Go to oh, bed. For the so that, Like I don't have to participate and look
4: like an idiot in this right now. Agreed.
1: Nope. You cannot.
4: It's the color purple.
1: Terry, are you ready? <sighs> yes. And if nobody gets it. Then just nobody gets it, which is totally possible. Maybe if there's like a hint to give, we'll go around again with a hint. But
5: so you're saying don't talk your answers out before you. I wish you would (laughs) never talk
1: your answers out. (laughs) What are the three stories of the Monk
0: trilogy called? Get the fuck out! Are you kidding me? I don't even remember this story's Uh, title. For
5: real. (laughs) Oh no, um, it's no, I it's uh, Larry Curly and Mo.
0: <laughs> Alex, you want to take a guess? Yeah, I'll take a guess. First one, what happened? Well, see, that's the thing is, I'm getting mixed up on which one was first. <laughs> well, what you got? Uh, oh, well, okay, I know one the of them one. I think is called the Pyramid. Nope. <laughs> okay, well then I'm out.
1: <laughs> but one of them has a pyramid. True, so like something. it was.
0: It was like about that.
5: Don't they all? Because they're
1: it could shut be up, tatters.
0: In... Oh, shut <laughs> up. Sam.
2: Um, oxygen. This is
0: bullying. <laughs> it nope. is.
1: It really is.
2: Oxygen, oxygen happened you right before. You said it could be. That counted. would make it
1: a quadrilogy. Go
2: look on your website.
1: I am not providing these answers they are from Dr. trivial pursuit. Sam, what's the one after oxygen? The doctor's blind.
2: Um the one where they go down to the the crypt.
1: Yes, what's that called?
2: The pyramid.
1: Nope. <laughs> I mean, Cody, can
3: you get just the first one? The doctor falls Okay, that was last week's. Oh, shit. That's, uh, uh, the doctor goes Give blind. One,
1: one of any of the three. It's the, he's the already blind. The
3: blind doctor. Just
1: in the first two. The
3: doctor can't see. <laughs> I don't Jill? know,
1: dude.
4: Um, no. One
1: of them has pyramid in the title. Where is that pyramid?
4: The pyramids of Egypt. <laughs>
1: uh, okay, nobody got it. It's, Surprise! The first one is the like simulation one. It's called extremus or extremus. I always say Extremis oh, and yeah. I know it's wrong. We
4: were never gonna get it. I
2: totally just yeah, made our Instagram page for that one on. last night too. <laughs> Could not remember it.
1: The second one is called the pyramid at the end of the world.
2: Oh, that's where it is.
4: The end of the world. Oh, yeah.
1: And the third one's the hardest because it means nothing. And it's called The Lie of the Land.
4: Yep, we were close.
1: Yeah. good. Ju- you yeah, know what? Everybody gets a question. pat on the back. No no points. Nil pois. Alex, it is your turn to go first. Blank Kat?
4: slate. We got this.
1: What is the relationship <laughs> between the wooden Eliza and the
0: landlord of Bill's student house
3: fucking easy mode
0: the wooden eliza and the landlord of Bill's what student house the house she lives in oh, is a student oh it was uh yeah it was mother son like she like he was a son to the lady the, the wooden lady, <laughs> yeah, I understand what mother son means. well, you didn't say uh. <laughs> anything.
1: <laughs> I was waiting for you to, I was waiting answer. for you to talk yourself out of it,
0: okay, no i
1: I was doubling down. Alex has one point, Sam, it is your turn to go first.
4: Wait what was Alex right? has
1: Alex has one point. It is Sam's turn to go first.
4: I
0: was right,
1: yeah, yeah, because it was easy. What is the name of the child that the doctor and Clara meet? At the West Country Children's Home. Jennifer. Cody. (laughs) Susan. Jill.
4: Astrid.
1: Terry. Danny Pink. Alex. Oh,
3: God. Nope, that's wrong. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, was it God? Okay, Sam, we're going to go back to you with a hint. It's Danny Pink before his name was Danny Pink. What's his real name? This child's name was not Danny Pink. Tatters. (laughs) Well, I should get a partial point. (laughs) I knew it was him. You'll get nothing Uh, and you will like it. uh, It'll come back to you. None of these assholes are going to know it. (laughs) Danifer. (laughs) 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 Cody what was danny pink's real first name
3: uh stan
4: <laughs> <laughs> this is great you guys jill claris
1: claris says it in the restaurant and it makes him stop and be like what what because they're making fun of each other's dumb names
4: jonathan
1: <laughs> all right terry you get another crack oh no you weren't prepared for this you didn't know this was gonna happen i
5: I'm trying to remember the scene and like my brain feels like it's supposed to be a girl's name, like Stacy or Michelle or something like that. That's weird.
1: Yeah, it is weird.
4: <laughs> How about Misha? You guys
1: did all assume girls. We this did. is from the episode Listen, which I think is my favorite twelve doctor episode. Clementine. Alright, Terry, your tatters, your time is up. Alex, last chance. Eugene. Close, but way off. It's Rupert.
2: Rupert. Oh, Rupert. No, not a single no. brain cell
1: sparked on that. No, oh.
2: I wouldn't have even guessed that in a multiple choice.
5: <laughs> I knew it was Danny. I actually raised my hand <laughs> when I remembered it was Danny Pink character. All right,
4: can, Cody. Can Got we, an easy uh, one for you. Can we just play us against Jake instead?
1: <laughs> no, you'd lose. Yeah, we would lose. Well, yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs>
4: At least we'd have an attempt. Cody.
1: Who links the following stories? The girl who died, the woman who lived, face the raven, and bent. Is it Clara? No. <laughs> Wait, oh, it's me. Damn. <laughs> Judges?
4: It's fine. He knew uh, it. He already
3: well, answered
0: Clara. Well, the question's
1: <laughs> ambiguous because is Clara not in all of them? Uh, no, she's not in The Woman Who Lived. Fuck. So, no. Uh, we'll give it to you. It's We Half would have point. accepted either a shilder, a shilda, or lady me, or I guess me. <laughs> or, fuck, it's me, isn't it? <laughs> or whatever <laughs> you said.
2: Like, I'm pretty sure everyone else knew the answer to that one.
1: All right. Alex has one. Cody has one. Jill. You can do yeah. this. Yeah. In which Christmas story do the 12th and 1st Doctors accept their regenerations?
4: Dear God, I have to know the title. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, uh, hold on. I'm not going to say it till it's all the way there. Smart. Tip of my tongue. It's funny.
2: It's like because you just said earlier you wouldn't <laughs> remember the name of this episode. No. It
1: <laughs> merely like five minutes ago, like right before we started doing the quiz.
4: I know, um, but I looked at it today again.
1: And I've said it many times in this discussion. Yeah, I don't pay
4: attention to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if oh, I, I, I remember now. Go ahead, next person. No, it's not me. I was gonna talk through it, but that won't. That'll be stupid. So
1: no, give give yourself some time. No, talk, talk through it. Come on.
4: I know it's like a catchy phrase, but with twice. Or two in it instead of... Oh,
1: you're right there.
4: I know, but I can't. That's as much as I remember from it, too. No. Pass.
3: (laughs)
5: Don't
1: even
0: try.
3: (laughs) Tatters? Twice upon a time?
1: Yeah. No, I'm just glad Alex didn't get it so we can have a tiebreaker.
3: Tiebreaker. Give me that numerical question. It's definitely a numerical question, I'm out. and it's
1: the hardest ones that we've ever oh, had. Oh, extraordinary. I hope it's a 20 we have, million. We have a three-way tie between Cody, Alex, and Terry. I'm going to ask a question. Just answer as many times as you want. First person to say it right will win. 13. In what, in what year? And I'll, I'll give hints after an amount of time. In which year did the Doctor, Nardal, and Bill
0: encounter an Ice Warrior Queen? I'm out. In, <laughs> it, Are you talking in which year the episode aired or in which year they are in, in the episode? Yeah. Well,
1: Dr. Nardal, and Bill are characters. What year are they in Nineteen forty-one, nineteen forty-two, forty-three, forty-four, forty-five, forty-six, forty-seven. 1941, in
3: 1942, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 48, 50, 51, 52, 53, uh, it's, 54.
0: It's going to be early, like early empire. So like, yeah. Just start saying numbers. T-
4: 1910,
0: 19... 11, 1912,
3: 1810, 1811, 1812, 1314. <laughs> Say 18th century. 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 24. It's I'm really in
0: the 1800s. Oh, 1800s?
4: 26, 27, 28,
3: 29, 1860s. 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35. Any, anyone 1870s. else want to try? 36, 37. 1800s <laughs> 30
4: is large. 40, I'm 41. not going to do that. Can, well, what decade? Cody's already 18, set the first
3: 45, 46, 47, 48, 48 49.
1: 1888. 50, 51, 18, 52, 89. 93, 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, 98 99. Nope, Go the wrong way. 94, 93, 92, 91.
0: 90, 80,
3: 90, 87.
5: 77, 76, 75 74
3: 76, 68 72, 72, 67, 65, nope. 64 63, nope. 63
5: 62 61
3: 60 59 58 57 nope. 70 69 56 55 54 53 52 <laughs> I hope you're enjoying this Twitter audience. I'll give
1: you a hit Terry said 1988 then he went down or 1888 then he went down to 1879 1880s. It's in between those <laughs> 1788 81 82 Hey it's 81 Terry's the winner <laughs> Uh, Congratulations, Terry! God, you guys are the worst. Don't even try. You pick a better yeah, question. A Fuck <laughs> off. That's the worst
0: question. Like, but
1: like if Alex was listening to you, like you said, the first forty numbers, he could have just started at nineteen hundred and gone down. No,
3: don't defend a year
1: question where we just count. Indefensible. No, that's why we burn them on multiple
0: choice <laughs> the best way to do that
1: is also you said uh, it was in
2: the 18th century i mean um, we'll we pick
0: it we'll pick a date and then whoever's closest i, I would like to point century. out that
1: at one point cody was in the 1970s
2: <laughs> i would like to point I think, out i don't
1: fucking know what year this happened i think
2: he was thinking about nasa
1: well, he started in the 1910s and just kept counting up. Well, <laughs>
2: yeah. okay,
3: some fucking blokes from the 1800s are on the moon. Or Mars. Mars. Like, come on.
1: Alex, give me that Paper Cup and Thieves song. This has been Married to Who, our episode on Twice Upon a Time. Do you want to participate with us in our socials, you can do so on Married to Who pod on Twitter, Married to Who on Instagram. You can email us at, at gmail.com. If you want to listen to this podcast in any other way than you are, you can do so on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or our website, MaryDoo.com. Uh, on behalf of myself, Jake, Cody Sam, Jill Alex, and producer Tatters. Thank you for listening. Please <laughs> join us next time for
0: The Woman Who Fell to Earth. <laughs>